Um, as you turn to Luke chapter 1, we continue our study we just began last week. Um, I, I want to just kind of give you an update. I'd like to thank everybody that prayed for us this week as we went to Mayo Clinic to find out um, just an update on what was going on with my liver, and it is cancer. Um, they're going to do surgery, and I'm not really looking forward to that, um, but the prognosis is good. So they think they can get it all from what they see. It's kind of hard to see and get at, but uh, they feel pretty confident. We were able, by some miracle, to be able to meet with the surgeon, which we didn't have scheduled. That was helpful and kind of removed some of the uncertainty. So thank you for praying. August 6th we go in, and um, it's not that far away. Um, but thank you uh, for your prayers. We really, really, really appreciate it, and I know I can't stress that enough, so thank you. Um, before we open God's Word... Um, let's pray. That's important. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, all of life and uh, all of our day-to-day -day would not make sense um, if we didn't have your word to guide us, um, to encourage us, to instruct us, to convict us. We're so grateful. And I'm grateful, God, you didn't give us your word and say, here, you figured out, but you gave us your spirit. And we Thank you that as your children, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and that even this moment, we can ask you, Holy Spirit, help us to see, to see your word through your eyes, to see what it means to us, and Lord, to see your incredible plan of redemption. And so thank you for that, Jesus. And we just lift this time up to you in your name. Amen. Amen. One of the key aspects of Bible study um, is observation. By observation, it means we open a text and we look. We observe it. We ask questions of it. Who's involved? What's the timing of it? Geography-wise, where it's at? How does it look fit into the bigger context? And before we can interpret anything, we need to observe it well. Matter of fact, the more you observe it, the easier it is to interpret it. And so observation is key. So I just want to encourage you as you read through the passages, I kind of, and as you go through Luke, let's make that a real goal to observe well. And then we'll be able to interpret, but, but we can't stop with interpreting because once you observe well and interpret, then we got to actually apply it. And so uh, we're going to, as we go through some of this uh, narrative, as we look at, I, I really hope we can observe well. And uh, kind of, because again, it all really starts there. And so as we, we read through this, I want us to observe some really significant things. Let's start with verse 5 through 10 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Well, we're introduced, first of all, to this couple. And it strikes me that God unveiled his surprise for this momentous moment in history. God is a God of surprises. I, I, can anyone here testify that? Yeah, he's surprised me a few times. Anybody in the house or is it just me? Okay, yeah. He's done that. He's, he, matter of fact, he's really good at it. Um, 
And we see that here. And as we unveil this a little bit more, unpack it, I want us to try to understand the moment and what was going on in Israel. The dawn of his Messianic promise was about to show forth. After the hundreds of years of silence, after the dark times, there still persisted a hope that the night would end, as Malachi said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. There was hope, and it, it was faint, but it was there. And you can imagine for hundreds of years as they waited for the Messiah and the deliverance that would come, they thought, boy, come Lord Jesus. Have you ever prayed that? <laughs> come Messiah. As things were dark and they waited. And at this dramatic moment, God selected an ordinary priest. He wasn't even from Jerusalem. He made his trip there. And his wife. And the story of Luke introduces, as we continue to read this, we're going to find out that these faithful Jewish people are introduced to us. And it's important because that's intentional. We have Zechariah, we have Elizabeth, we're about to uh, interact with Mary next week, Simeon and Anna. And they're faithful Jews who are waiting for the Messiah. Now verse 6 speaks to the character of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And you're like, and it's really important, it's not just that they were righteous before God walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord, it's that we needed to know that. Why? Well, there was a stigma in this day that if a wife was barren, there was sin in the camp, in their house. That barrenness was a result of sin. According to William Barclay, the Jewish rabbi said that seven people were excommunicated from God, and this list began. A Jew who has no wife or a Jew who has a wife and has no child. So the rabbis perceived this is a sinful situation. And isn't it amazing how God, right on the forefront, says this wasn't because of sin. Because this couple were both righteous before God, and they walked blamelessly in regard to the statutes. This wasn't because of sin. There's something else going on here. God is sovereign and in control of this situation, and so we're, we know right off the bat. Now, who would ever imagine that in this aging Heartbroken couple, God would plant the seed of hope for the world. But he did. Now, understand, if we try to observe, well, you have an aging couple who's probably bowed at the dinner table in their living room as they walk down the dusty roads probably hundreds of times. God, please, give us a child. And I'm sure as the, the years got longer, the prayers probably got a little less, the hope a little less. But you know, and if you were a, a couple who's been try, uh, trying to have children and have unable to, you can really relate to probably what they've been thinking, what they've been feeling, and the amount of prayer they put into this. And so let's understand, try to put ourselves in a moment and observe well what's going on here. Now we know in verse 8 and 9 that... Zechariah was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. Well, in that particular day, uh, a division was on duty twice a year. And so Zechariah would have come here about twice a year to serve. And the priesthood had thousands of members and they were divided into 24 divisions. So you got 24 divisions 
And you got Zechariah's division that comes twice a year. Okay, that's kind of the backdrop of what's going on here. And it just happened that he was chosen by Lot. Now, according to Proverbs 16.33, the lot falls into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God's behind this. The sovereign God has a plan he's carrying out. This is no accident. Just happened to be chosen by Lot. Now, imagine this. He's alone. He's going through the liturgy, which really wasn't that long. It was to present incense. This wasn't the Holy of Holies. It got as close as it could but this was still a significant time in Israel's worship. And so he's lifting these censers, this incense over the coals, and suddenly, let's pick it up, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you shall have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away of the ch- many of the children of Israel to the, to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, ju- of, of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Gabriel shows up. Again, imagine yourself. You're alone, and you're focused. You're worshiping. You're incense on the altar. Anybody maybe jump if all of a sudden an angel showed up on the side? Now, if you've ever been in a room and, and you didn't see somebody there, and then boom, they scare you a little bit, and you jump, and you, you didn't see them there, I can't, there's a reason the angel says, don't be afraid. He's probably, oh my gosh, give me a heart attack. Scare me, you've probably done that. And so as I envision this scene, I see him jumping a little bit, knees buckled, face is probably pale, fear fell on him. And Gabriel's appearance, here's what's amazing about this, Gabriel's appearance was the first supernatural communication we know of. And John was the first prophet we know of for the last 400 years. Let that sink in. Zechariah is not expecting anyone to show up. Now, there's a lot, of, as I think about this amazing thing, I, I, it's just this interaction between the angel and Zechariah is amazing because you kind of wonder how much did Zechariah hear. As I think of Sometimes when you're a part of something and there's so much going through your mind, 
and someone's trying to communicate you, you kind of hear half of it because your mind's whirling. Imagine what's going through his mind, all the things. In the very first thing, verse 13, the angel says is, don't be afraid. Your prayer's been heard. What prayer? We don't read of any prayer. We do know that him and his wife have been praying for a child for many years. And you know what his other prayer was as a priest. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Messiah. Come deliver us. With those two prayers on the forefront of his mind, an angel shows up and answers both. Baby's coming, Messiah's coming. That's pretty cool. I mean, and, and here he is trying to absorb all this. So the angel says, don't be afraid. And so as he offers this prayer year after year for a child and for the deliverance of Israel, we can hardly understand today the desperation there was in Israel and what it meant in that culture and in that day to be childless. And the ancients considered it, again, the causes of bitterest sorrow and the bitter sorrow of all of Israel as they wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them. And so it's very deep that we don't necessarily pick up on the emotion here and the desperation that Zechariah was a part of. It would have been very easy and very human for Zechariah to conclude at this late date, certainly that Elizabeth would never give birth. I appreciate the words of J.C. Ryle on this matter. He says, we must beware of hastily concluding that our supplications are useless, especially in the matter of intercessory prayer on behalf of others. It's not for us to prescribe either the time or the way in which our requests are to be answered. I agree with that. He's hitting on it. You see, there's going to be times when all of us, it seems as if God has pressed the mute button so that we can't hear from heaven. And for a long time, and it's in those periods, don't grow weary, but continue to seek the Lord in prayer. Because if we give up, ask yourself, how will that improve our situation? It clearly won't. If we stop praying for loved ones who are today are far from God, how will that help them? If you stop praying for a person who's in great need, whatever that need would be, and you stop praying, how will that help them? Don't quit. Learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth here. Don't quit. God is a God, we've established in our lives, a God of surprises. Oftentimes he surprises us not only with the answer, but when, it, when the answer comes and how it comes. And so don't quit. Keep praying. There's our instant application for us. Now, when it comes to the name, Zechariah is told, you, you need to name him John. Now, in that culture, the name was really up to the father a lot. It'd be the father's right to name the child. But, but God doesn't even give Zechariah that right. He says, just forget that. I'll take care of that. It's going to be John. That's his name. That made naming him easy. I remember Cindy and I debating over what to name. I wish that would have happened. Just be quiet, you two. We're going to be this. Yeah. And so... We compromise. It's a good thing to do, by the way. Um, and John's name, fittingly so, is God is gracious. Zechariah would have known that, and I'm sure he thought, oh, amen to that. God is indeed gracious. And the role in verse 17, we learn that this role is he's going to be no competitor to Messiah. He'll come in the spirit, power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord. And so he would be no competitor 
but he would have a role. He was not the way, but he was sent to prepare a way, the way. He was not the way, he was supposed to get out of the way. <laughs> that was his role. And you got to admit, John the Baptist did it really well. Now it's essential that Luke began this story of salvation with the forerunner, John the Baptist. And it's important we understand for several reasons. One, again, remember his historical. He wants to be a historian, a great historian, and he wants to be accurate in the way he observed and accurate in the way he interpreted all the facts. And so it's important to him. And so it's not by accident he begins with a forerunner. First, by beginning, he does so. He connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. They do not teach two different religions. The Old Testament and New Testament don't teach two different ways of salvation. Rather, it's one unified revelation of God offering hope of redemption through faith in Jesus Christ for all people, all places, and all times. It's one story. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament, oh, he's a God of wrath, and the New Testament came, he's a God of love. No, it's one story. And Luke helps paint that picture by going back to the forerunner, which was prophesied in Malachi and Isaiah. Also, John the Baptist was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, thus demonstrating the accuracy of those prophecies and predictions. Once again, again, linking the Old Testament and New Testament. And through John the Baptist, God broke through centuries of silence. And John's birth was miraculous. In that the parents, if you think of other parents in the Bible who were childless, who had a miraculous birth, would it not go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah? And so we see this new covenant, this unique birth, taking place. And it would take them back, their mind, back again, once to a covenant-keeping God, which is obviously a wonderful thing. And finally, perhaps most importantly, the story of John the Baptist establishes that he was divinely prophesied forerunner of the Messiah. Therefore, his testimony concerning Jesus verifies Jesus was the Messiah. And so there's a lot of reasons Luke began with the forerunner. Let's look at Zechariah. Let's follow the story. Let's look at Zechariah's response. He says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, that's not the most spiritual answer. I mean, potentially you'd look at Zechariah, he's a priest after all, and say, you'd expect, amen. I knew you were going to come through. I knew it. And this is exciting. Matter of fact, I knew today would be a good day. You, you would expect maybe something like that, but it's not really what we get. He's surprised indeed. <laughs> and he trips over his words in unbelief. He was really living in the backwash of his own limitations, and he couldn't foresee the marvels of what God had for him. And isn't that easy to do? To live in the backwash and to live in, in your, our mental limitations we put. I even sometimes, and maybe you're like me, and you're like, oh, I know God can do the impossible, but I'm not sure he will. You know, we had that little precursor to protect ourselves from being disappointed. Right? We all do it. And, and Zechariah was no different. He was wrestling in this moment. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. 
Other versions translate his question to say, how can I know this? Eugene Peterson offers this paraphrase, do you expect me to believe this? Which captures a note of doubt and skeptical unbelief. Though it was quite true that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and past childbearing years, there's no doubt about that, the angel clearly expected Zechariah to believe what God had said. Now, in thinking about the story, I thought it helpful to actually compare Zechariah's response with Mary's when Gabriel came to her and told her that she would have a virgin birth. And so, as we look at and compare them, we find a couple things that are helpful. Even though the promises made to Mary were much greater and therefore should have been harder to believe, her response is different than Zechariah's. Because when the angel finished his announcement, Mary simply replied, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Later she said, I'm the Lord's slave, may it be done to me according to your word. There's a subtle but important difference at work here. Zechariah wanted proof, Mary wanted understanding. There's a difference. Zechariah was wrestling with, I'm not sure that this is going to really true. Mary, I understand it's true. We could use a little understanding here. And, and so they're, they're different, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. But Zechariah's question reveals his fundamental calculation that he could not believe that his wife could get pregnant and bear a child. And certainly he had good logical reasons for concluding it was impossible. In our minds, all he had to do was think about it. It's pretty simple. Young couples have babies. Old couples, not so much. Simple and clear, basic biological fact. So Zechariah's question really is, why should I believe something preposterous like this? Now remember who he's talking to, an angel. You'd think he would have pulled up and said, this isn't a human being I'm talking to here. This is, this is some majestic being, some angelic being. And that should have pulled him up short and maybe caused him to believe, but he still wrestled with it, and uh, as we probably would have too. But this is a double thing the angels tell him that had to have boggled his mind. It does mind to even just try to put myself in his shoes. Now, the virginal conception of Jesus is a miracle of a much different order than Elizabeth getting pregnant, yet Mary believed. Zechariah didn't. Now, verse 19 tells us it's after Zechariah's question that the angel identifies himself, bringing God's authority to the conversation. I love this because Zechariah says in verse 18, I'm an old man. Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I like that. I can almost hear the bass a little more. So it doesn't matter who you are, Zechariah. God sent me here. And that changes everything. God's now in the equation, Zechariah, of what your future holds. And when God's in the equation, things are much different. So the question is, is God in the equation of your life? Is God in the equation of your decisions? Or have you left him out of it? And so Zechariah all of a sudden realized, Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel, and God sent me. That forces Gabriel to step back and now look at things differently, as it should us when we realize God's present in our situations. And if it's true, oxygen, it, hope is oxygen to the soul, Zechariah needed oxygen tank and he needed a respirator. He needed hope. He's still afraid. He does not believe when his deepest hopes and dreams are about to be fulfilled because he felt it was an impossible situation. 
I also thought about this. Imagine Zechariah. Imagine his frustration. Because he's told now he's not going to be he's not going to be able to speak. As we, as we interact here, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you, by the way, not just news, Zechariah, this is good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. As I think of Zechariah and I think about coming out of, 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 away from that altar and before all the people, I thought, I would want to shout, she's pregnant. And I'd want to shout, Messiah's coming. Probably all them years he really wanted to shout that and God says, you're not going to be able to say anything. Talk about frustration. And so what we read then is a mind game. All these people are waiting. He's been in there quite a while, and, and they kind of realize how long. I mean, they've been doing this so often, they know about pretty much by time. He should be out by now. And he's not. And so there's a delay, so they're wondering what's going on. And then he comes out, and he's not able to speak to them. He's not able to share anything with them. And then we read on, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. How? You ever say, you ever play Pictionary? I gotta believe it's something like that. He can't talk, he comes out and he's like. How else are they gonna know, right? There had to have been something like that, probably a little better than that. But they realized, I had some kind of vision. Something happened in there. And he came and tells us about it. So they're left to try to figure it all out. And so that's an interesting moment to me to try to picture what that, what it, that was like. And so we told him, verse 23, and when his time of service ended, he went home. Okay, but that must have been an interesting walk, pretty quiet. <laughs> you can't talk. And yet think of all the things he learned in that moment, that God answers. Imagine all the time he had to think about it. God actually answered that prayer. And he answered at a different time. And he answered in a different way than I thought. And all the times I wanted him to say yes, I thought he was saying no. But he actually was saying wait. Isn't that a good lesson, right? God answers wait sometimes. It doesn't mean no. It just means now's not the best time. And so don't quit. Keep praying. You'll be glad you did. Because we have a God full of surprises. And you'll see them and experience them in your life the more you persist in prayer. Verse 24, after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. She celebrated. I mean, she celebrated. Look what God has done in my life, in our life. And so God works at humble people with humble beginnings, and we're going to continue to see that. It just seems to be the way he works. Uh, he, he, he finds people who are humble and they're pliable. And there's something else that struck me, and it's sometimes scary what goes through my mind. She's celebrating this pregnancy, all the answered prayer. But I thought of the fact that her husband's not going to be able to talk for a while either. 
might be celebrating that too. I thought Cindy would probably appreciate that. God shut him up for a few months and get something done. And uh, maybe not, but you never know. Um, but she's celebrating what this God did and the surprise that he brought into her life. Well, we observe, we interpret, but we can't stop there. We need to apply it. I read, I try to read a lot, and unfortunately, one of the things I keep coming across is, is people really like to interpret, and they just don't make this step to apply it. Because the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this word. It's called application. You want to be wise? Apply truth. And so I, I really try to serve that way by providing application. And these are things I really hope you remember and store away when God steps in. One, what we call impossible is a platform in which God does his greatest work. You might think it's impossible. God say, oh, this is going to be fun. It's his platform on which he does his greatest work. Have you begun to lose hope that maybe a family member will come to the Lord? Maybe you begin to lose hope you'll find a job. Or lose hope that school might be an impossible dream for you. Or that career, maybe you lost hope that the door might seem closed. Don't do it. I mean, don't give up hope. Because our impossibility is a platform that God can do his greatest work. Remember, there's no impossible with God. And we, may, we need to be wise to take time to remember that. But as we wait, potentially, God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Tuck that away. God's wait does not mean no. He may simply be saying no, not right now. So we have a choice as to whether we will let God's delays cause doubt or cause growth. I would encourage you to cause growth. That's always for our good. I encourage you during the wait to experience what trusting God really means. As you pray and persist and you don't see an answer of any kind. That's what it means to trust. Day by day, just giving it to him and saying, God, I don't see it. I don't know. But I trust you. I really trust you. I know that maybe I've used this illustration before. I especially remember Benjamin. He loves trees. And he'd climb them and ultimately get so high, oops. And, uh, and he, then he wants to get down. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to bail him out, right? And, uh, and so I'd all, okay, Ben, here's what you do. Come down, come down a little bit. And, 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 and when he was younger, he'd, he'd get to a point where he'd stop. And not, then he didn't know what to do. And I said, well, just jump. I got you. And he never wavered. Now, I could have put someone three times bigger than me, three times stronger than me under the tree, and say, go ahead, Ben, jump, and he wouldn't have. Why? Was it a strength issue? Nope. Nothing to do with that. It was a heart issue. He trusted my heart. He didn't know the heart of this guy. Trusting is... Not only trusting God's strength, it's not only trusting God's wisdom, God's strong enough to catch us, God knows how to catch us, it's trusting his heart, that he cares enough not to drop us. And so during those times when God delays, doesn't mean he's denying, but it does mean you're in a good place to learn what it means to trust. That's always a good place to be. 
And number three, God's surprises are always for his glory and for our ultimate good. I hope you're zealous for God's glory. And like Zechariah, we may pray for something only to have God answer our prayers in an unusual and surprising and unexpected way. Would you doubt God's ability to do the impossible after so many years of waiting? Might be a surprise to you, but to God it's all part of his sovereign plan and God desires in all situations that it would result in his glory and honor. So as you wait, as you pray, as you trust, continue to deflect it all, all the glory to him, all the praise to him. Because whether it's in the praying, the waiting, or whatever it is, He's still worthy of all praise. And he is sovereign God who is in control of this whole plan. And Luke wanted us to know right at the beginning of this gospel. God is sovereign. He's in complete control. It's in his timing. It's in his way. He'll always come through. And so let's learn from this account. Lay these insights into your mind as you face the surprises that come your way. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much in this text. <laughs> we reread the words, but I'm still, I guess I'm still in awe of what that moment, those moments looked like. But I know it would be a shame to leave these on the pages and just look at that as Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience only. But Lord, we can pull out of here principles, applications for our life. Romans tells us everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction, that we might have hope. And so, Lord, we learn this morning. We want to learn to trust you in a greater way. Help us to be persistent in prayer, knowing that you are the God of the impossible. Enlarge our hearts to care deeply about your plan. Give us a greater zealousness that the end result of our lives would not be our comfort, but your glory. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that in our lives. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.